Thank you, Hannah. Well, there was an elderly pastor getting ready for church on a Sunday morning, and he was there in his closet putting his tie on, and he glanced across the other side of the closet to where his wife kept her clothes and her belongings, and he noticed an old box that didn't look familiar to him, so he went over and pulled the box off the shelf, and he opened it up and was a little taken aback because inside the box there were three eggs and about a hundred one-dollar bills. And he calls his wife into the closet and he says, Honey, what's going on with this box here? And she hangs her head down and says, I didn't really want you to find it. I've been hiding that box from you for 30 years. Well, he's a little bit upset by this point, a little disappointed. They, he thought they shared everything together. He says, what do, you, what do you mean? Why would you do such a thing? And she says, Well, I've been listening to a lot of your sermons over the last 30 plus years. And to be honest with you, every time you preached a bad sermon after church, I would put an egg inside the box. And he thought to himself, 30 years, only three eggs in the box. Hey, that's pretty good. And she says, well, what about the dollar bills? And she drops her head and says, well, every time I collected a dozen eggs in the box, I sold them to our neighbor for a dollar. We've got our kids in the service with us today. I've got three of my four daughters in the service. I really, really hope that when I go home this afternoon, I won't find eggs hiding in their closets. We hope this one's not a dud, amen? I want to encourage you to all pull out your Bibles. We need Bibles in hand. Pull out your message notes from your bulletins. Kids, uh, it's great to have you in the service today. Our elementary kids, our first through sixth graders are with us since this is the fifth Sunday. Uh, Kids, you should all have one of those message notes handouts with you. Here's the challenge today, kids. If you fill in all of those blanks on your message notes, the front and back during this message today, and you take that to Miss Christie after the service, you guys will get 50 kids bucks to apply to the store here at FCC. So uh, you guys fill in those blanks, take some notes along the way. And teens and adults, you guys don't get the kids bucks, but I encourage you just the same to be following along in your word and jotting down some of those notes along the way. Today we're going to look at one of the most important teachings of Jesus Christ. No one ever stuck eggs in closets after hearing Jesus preach. Amen? He is not only the Son of God. He is not only the Christ and Lord. Jesus Christ is hands down the greatest teacher who has ever walked this planet. An amazing teacher, Jesus was. And so he is going to share one of his most powerful and important messages today in Luke chapter 9, a message that I'm calling Who Jesus Is and What That Means. So please open those Bibles to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. If you don't have your Bible with you today, you can borrow one of those blue ones from the rack in front of you. You'll find this on page 1026 if you're using one of those blue Bibles. And we're going to go ahead and start in prayer and then dive into Luke chapter 9 starting in verse 18. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. Lord, what we're doing right now could not be done in many nations around this world. Lord, in China right now, I could not put on a microphone and amplify the preaching of your word because I would be arrested. In many other countries around the world, Lord, those that are just sitting and listening to the teaching of your true word. 
would be arrested for doing so. Many of us, Lord, would be thrown into jail. Many of us, Lord, would be subjected to various kinds of suffering for simply listening to Your Word and gathering together as a church. So, Lord, we don't want to take this time for granted. We pray, O God, that You would open our ears to hear Your Word today. Teach us what You want to teach us. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that do not enjoy this privilege today that we enjoy. Lord, give them strength. Increase their faith. And may they stand strong on the Gospel of Jesus Christ until You call them home. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, Are you ready for this one? Kids, are you ready? Kids, are you ready? Teenagers, you ready? Adults, you ready? Let's dive in. Luke 9, starting in verse 18. Such a great passage. Come. Oop, wrong word. Once. That's the word I was looking for. I do need glasses, but uh, Holly and Christine both know I'm trying to buy time and not put them on on a Sunday morning yet. Here we go, starting in verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. We're going to stop there for just a moment. We looked briefly at these verses last week, but it's such an important passage. We do not uh, want to just gloss over it and move on to the next few verses. One of the lessons that stood out to us last uh, week as we dove into these verses was that prayer was such a, a, an important part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was praying before or during His most important ministry moments. And this passage here is no exception. We read here in, in verses 18 through 20 that Jesus had been praying with His disciples when He asked them this question, Who do the people who do the crowds say that I am? And then when Peter responds and gives what, what is known to uh, come to be known as the, the good confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus was praying when this took place. And so one of the most powerful things that any Christian child or Christian teenager or Christian adult could ever do is to spend significant time in deep personal prayer. Adults, I encourage you to be praying with your spouse on a daily basis. I encourage you to be praying with your kids and your grandkids on a daily basis. Teenagers, you've got little brothers and sisters, many of you that look up to you. I encourage you when your brother or sister are going through a tough time, pull them aside and say, hey, can I pray with you? Offer to pray with your younger brothers and sisters. Offer to pray with your parents when they're going through some stuff. And then kids, you just pray with everybody, okay? Just pray with everybody because prayer is one of the most important and most powerful things that any Christian could ever do. So on the heels of this prayer, Jesus asked this question, Who do the crowds say that I am? Now, whenever Jesus asks a question, it's a good idea to ask another question. And that question is this. Why did Jesus ask this question? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus Christ all-knowing? So if he asks a question, is there a pretty good chance he already knows the correct answer to that question? 
Exactly. So did he know the answer to this question? Certainly he did. So why does he ask them this question? Who do the crowds say that I am? I want to suggest to you that Jesus asked the question to help his disciples separate fact from fiction regarding who he is. Jesus knew that there were all sorts of rumors spreading about his identity. Thousands of people were showing up when he preached. And within these huge crowds, there were plenty of crazy ideas floating around about who Jesus was. And as the time drew closer for Jesus to die on the cross, he wanted to make sure that his 12 disciples could separate fact from fiction. So Jesus asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And in response, in verse 19, they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and others say that you're Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. These are the exact same rumors that King Herod had heard back in verses 7 and 8. And they're listed in the exact same order they're listed back in 7 and 8 when they came to King Herod. Which tells me that these rumors were pretty well circulated by this point. These are pretty popular rumors. The most popular rumor about who Jesus was, that the first one on the list, was that he was John the Baptist. Many people evidently believe that he was John the Baptist somehow reincarnated because King Herod had already put him to death. Many people evidently believed, well, this guy's performing all these miracles. I've never heard of anyone performing so many miracles except maybe one of those prophets in Old Testament times. So this has got to be someone that's from another world. Well, they got that part right, didn't they? They knew he had to be from another world, but they were pretty far off by thinking he was John the Baptist reincarnated. Second most popular rumor was that he was Elijah. Now, that had some biblical backing. If you go to the last chapter in the book of Malachi, the final book in the Old Testament, it says that Elijah will come. And so they had some sort of loose biblical support for that rumor that was circulating. And they were correct that Jesus was from another world, but they were still out in left field with this whole Elijah idea, weren't they? And then there were others that believed that he was some other prophet from the Old Testament that had somehow resurrected. So after spending time in prayer with his 12 disciples, Jesus gives them this chance to clear the air and put on the table all of these rumors that had been circulating about his identity. Now, let me ask you, what are some of the rumors, some of the false rumors that have circulated about Jesus in our day and age? What are some popular false rumors about Jesus today? What was one? That he was just a great man. He was a great man. Many would say he was a great teacher, but he wasn't the Son of God. Many believe that false rumor. What are some others circulating today? He's a fairy tale. That one's not as common as it used to be. Most people do believe that Jesus Christ walked this earth and lived and died on a cross, but there are still some that believe that, you know, it's just all made up. The most common one today, the most common false rumor about Jesus, is that Jesus is one of many ways to make it to heaven. Yeah, you can get to heaven through Jesus, but you could get to heaven through this religion over there or through this prophet over here or that holy man over there. 
So the most common rumor about Jesus today is that Jesus is one of many ways to heaven, but not the only way. All of these false rumors tend to have a shred of truth in them. Just like these three notions about Jesus had a shred of truth. They had the understanding that in order to perform the miracles that he was performing, and in order to teach with the authority he taught with, he had to be from another world. They had that part right, so they were in the ballpark, but they were still way out in left field, weren't they? And so you look at these ideas about Jesus today that are false rumors about Jesus, that he was only a good teacher. Is it correct that he was a good teacher? That is true. But to say he is only a good teacher, that's way off base. It's unfactual. It's not in line with the truth of God's word. To say that Jesus is one way to heaven is correct, is it not? But then to take the next step and say he's one of many ways to heaven, that's a false lie about Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus' day, there were false ideas about who he was. In our day, there are false ideas about who he was. Jesus wanted to give his 12 disciples an opportunity to share what those false ideas were. In our day and age, millions of people across our country deny the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And they deny the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. They deny the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. So Jesus asked this question. And once they confessed the fiction that other people believed, Jesus asked them in verse 20 to confess the fact that they themselves believed. Look at verse 20 again. He asked them the follow-up question, But what about you? Who do you say that I am? This is one of the most important questions that Jesus ever asked His twelve disciples. And it's one of the most important questions that Jesus Christ will ever ask you. One of the most important questions He'll ever ask you. Who do you say that He is? Jesus asked them in verse 20 to confess the fact that they themselves believed. What about you? Who do you say that I am? After hearing the rumors about who everyone else thought He was, Jesus turns and asks them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter who oftentimes suffered from foot and mouth syndrome, got it right on this occasion, didn't he? Peter tended to be the spokesman for the other 11 apostles. And he steps forward and he speaks up, hopefully for all of them, when he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ of God. That full confession is given in Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Surrounded by a sea of false rumors about uh, Jesus' identity, Peter knew the truth and he boldly spoke at Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? Amen? Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18, Matthew records for us Jesus' immediate reaction and response to Peter's good confession. We read in Matthew 16, that Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This eternal truth, that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, would be the foundation, it would be the bedrock upon which Jesus Christ would build His church. It would be the foundation upon which 
every Christian would stand from that point forward. If someone does not believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, that person cannot be called a Christian. If someone does not believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, that person cannot be saved. It is the foundational belief of anyone who hopes to have Jesus Christ come into his or her life and wash their sins away and give him a new start and make him a new creation and give him a place there in heaven once he or she dies. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you are going to accept Christ as Savior. Matthew 16, 17, and 18, Jesus says, This is the foundation upon which I will build my church. Well, as Jesus continues to teach His disciples in Luke 9, 22 and 23, He's going to let them know that it's not enough to accept the truth about who Jesus is, that He is the Christ and the Son of the living God. Jesus' followers must also accept the truth about what that means for Him to be the Christ and the Son of the living God. So let's pick up here in verse 21, still in Luke chapter 9. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And He must be killed, and on the third day He will be raised to life. So the twelve disciples had grown up in a culture that expected the Christ to look a certain way and to act a certain way. You see, the Jewish nation in Jesus' day was hoping that the coming Christ would be some great political and military leader. They had hoped and and they had prayed that the coming Christ would assemble an army and, and conquer the Romans and bring Israel back to the glory days of King David and, and King Solomon from the Old Testament. They had hoped and they had expected that this coming Christ would restore a worldwide Jewish empire. And so it's important and it is necessary for someone to accept Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. But at the same time, the Jews and probably even the twelve disciples themselves, when they confess that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, probably they had a very skewed idea about what that meant. And Jesus, between this point and the time at which he would be hung on the cross, would have to clarify for his disciples what it meant for him to be the Christ and the Son of the living God. You see, in their minds... Jesus' agenda was to assemble that army. That's what they had been taught by all the rabbis in Israel all of their lifetimes. They had been taught that this coming Messiah, this coming Christ would build that army and He would drive out the Romans. He would restore this, this international empire of Israel. He would bring back those glory years of, of David and Solomon. This is what they had been taught from the time they were small children. And so they might have confessed the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but they were still wrestling about what exactly that meant. So what did Jesus come to earth to do? Now, for the first time here in verse 22, Jesus is going to point blank reveal to his disciples what his mission was in the months to come. He was going to reveal for the first time. Now, if you go back and look at prior verses and prior chapters, Jesus a few times had given them hints 
that he would one day suffer and die. But they were just hints. Here he is very clear about what's going to happen to him. We find it in verse 22. Jesus identifies four key steps in his game plan. And hearing these for the first time, you better believe that his disciples were a bit shocked and surprised and probably a bit confused as well. First of all, Jesus said that he would suffer many things. He would suffer many things. This is not something they'd want to hear. Wait a minute, Jesus. I I thought the coming Christ would cause our enemies to suffer. You're saying you're going to suffer. But it doesn't stop there. Number two, Jesus would be rejected. He would be rejected by the Jewish leaders. Wait a minute. I thought you were going to rally the nation behind you and, and rally our leaders behind you. Jesus, for the first time, makes it crystal clear, no, he's not going to rally the Jewish leaders. In fact, they're going to reject him. Number three, Jesus would be killed. It's not just a matter of him suffering. It's not just a matter of him going through some pain. He's going to be going through some excruciating pain. And then number four, Jesus would be raised to life on the third day. So we've talked in recent weeks about the gospel that we share with someone, the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we share the good news, we focus on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when he had sent out his 12 disciples a few weeks earlier, he had sent them out two by two, and they were sharing the good news. They were focused on the life of Jesus. Here he begins to add those those extra key ingredients, those extra steps within the gospel. I didn't just come to this earth to live. I also came to this earth to die. I didn't just come to this earth to die. I came to this earth to suffer and die. But disciples, make no mistake about it. I'm not going to stay dead because three days later, what's going to happen? I'm going to conquer death because death will not be able to have mastery over me. You can just imagine hearing this for the very first time. Their master, their rabbi, their Lord, they had left everything to follow Jesus a year or so earlier. And now this Lord that they had committed their lives to, that they followed night and day, that they had sacrificed everything for, says, by the way, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to raise from the grave. You can imagine hearing this for the first time, how confused they must have been. All of their lives... They had been taught by the Jewish rabbis that the coming Christ would be a great political and military general. But now they understood the truth that Jesus was the coming Christ. And they understood this truth and now began to come to grips with the reality that that meant something much different than they thought it meant. He would be a Messiah for sure. He would be the Christ for sure. But he would be a suffering and dying and resurrecting kind of Christ. Here in verse 22, Jesus makes it clear that anyone who accepts the truth that he is the Christ must also accept the truth about what that means for Jesus to be the Christ. So I'm going to condense it to this. We'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus' followers, both then and now, must understand and accept his identity and his agenda that comes with that identity. In verse 22, Jesus reveals his God-given agenda as the Christ. He is going to be rejected. He is going to suffer. He's going to die. And he's going to conquer death. And in verses 23 through 27, Jesus will reveal the God-given agenda for anyone who chooses to follow Jesus as the Christ. So we've looked at who Jesus is. He is the Christ. 
and the Son of the living God. We've looked at what that means. What does it mean for Him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? It means that He is going to be rejected and suffer and die and resurrect three days later. And then the final question, what does that mean for you and me? We start here in verse 23. Then He said to them all, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Me will save it. What good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of Me and My words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. In verse 20, Jesus had given Peter a golden opportunity to confess the truth about Jesus, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 22, Jesus explained what it meant for him to be the Christ. In a nutshell, it meant that he would be rejected. He would suffer and die. And since suffering and dying would be a very real part of Jesus' life, it shouldn't surprise us that suffering and sometimes even death could be a very real part of us following Christ. Here in verse 23, Jesus reveals three commands for anyone who has chosen to be His follower. Many Christians in the United States of America today do not understand these three commands. Many who attend church on a regular basis do not understand these three commands. But Jesus does not want you or me to miss them today. Jesus' agenda wasn't very pleasant, was it? How many of you think that's a pleasant agenda? I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to suffer terribly and I'm going to die. That doesn't sound very rosy, does it? That's not one of those feel-good messages that anyone likes to hear. And just as Jesus' agenda wasn't very rosy-sounding, much of His agenda for His followers isn't very pleasant either. Number one, the first command of the three and the agenda He gives to His followers. It says a Jesus follower must deny himself. A Jesus follower must deny himself. Well, what does it mean to deny myself? Well, I think Chuck Swindoll summarizes this beautifully as he writes, The emphasis on denying oneself is submission to his agenda. Saying no to what we want and saying yes to what he wants. Christianity is not obedience to a set of rules or the adoption of a certain philosophy. Christianity is about absolute obedience to the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? So often, before I baptize, especially a child or a teenager, as we're in back getting ready, so often I'll ask them a few questions. And it usually goes something like this. Now, you're making the decision today not just to make Jesus your Savior, but to make Him your Lord. And the word Lord means boss, jefe, leader, master. So down the road, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but down the road, I guarantee you, Jesus is going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. Are you going to do it anyway? Because Jesus said so. 
And usually the person that's going to get baptized says, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway because Jesus said so. And I said, down the road, Jesus, without a doubt, is going to ask you to do some things that you don't feel like doing. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. Are you going to do it anyway because you let Jesus call the shots in your life from now on? And I think without fail, I've always gotten that answer back, yes. You see, when I go to baptize someone, I I can't predict all that's going to come their way. Any difficulty, any pain, any suffering that may come for following Christ, I just don't know those things. I don't have God's mind. But I feel compelled when someone comes to Christ to at least give them a small taste of what's coming ahead. Because so often when someone shares the gospel, it's about accumulating numbers. You know, I had uh, 13 people pray to receive Christ today. Or I had uh, 106 people uh, baptized last week. And it's sometimes we get caught up in these numbers and we don't even give that person making a decision for Christ the slightest idea of what they're going to be facing as a follower of Christ once they make that decision. We want to be honest with them that following Christ is the greatest way to live. There is no close second. There's no better way to live on earth than following Jesus Christ because He will bring a peace to your life that you can't have without Him. He'll bring forgiveness and allow you to have a relationship with your holy God who created you. He will have a place for you there in heaven. By far the greatest way to live is to live for Jesus Christ, no doubt about it. But at the same time, isn't there some element of responsibility upon us who share our faith with others to let them know that it won't be all a bed of roses? That it's not going to be a walk in the park? You need to understand that He's not just your Savior and you go live the way that you lived yesterday. He's called you to a new life. And that new life, there'll be family members that may not like it. There'll be friends and neighbors that don't like it. There'll be co-workers that don't like it. Your very own parents or kids may hate it. Are you going to follow Him anyway? Because Jesus said so. He said, number one, a Jesus follower must deny himself. Psalm 37, verse 4, my wife's favorite verse, says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So Jesus does not say when you are to deny yourself, that you will from this point forward no longer experience any pleasure in this life. That's not what he's saying. Psalm 37.4 I think proves that. As we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart as long as they're in line with His will. So there will be joys that come to Christians in their life of following Christ that I think far surpass the joys that come to those in the world that are living for me, myself, and I. There will be happiness. There will be laughter. There will be fun. It's fun being a Christian, isn't it? Sometimes it's a bummer, but for the most part, it is fun following Jesus Christ, isn't it? And so Jesus isn't saying all fun is checked out at the door once you accept Him. He's not saying by any stretch that all joy is a thing of the past. He will bring you joy unspeakable as you follow Him, but He is letting you know that what brought you pleasure in the past if it's not in line with His will, has to be put behind you. You have to deny yourself the things that keep you from staying on the path that He's called you to stay on. When Jesus tells you 
that if you are serious about following and you must deny yourself, he is saying that if your plans ever conflict with his plans, you must surrender to his plans, right? And if you want to do what you want to do, but what you want to do conflicts with what God wants you to do, then you go with what God wants you to do. And if your priorities for you aren't in line with Jesus' priorities for you, guess whose priorities need to change? Not God's, not Jesus's, yours and mine, every single time. Deny yourself. Number two, he says a Jesus follower must take up his cross. Now this of the three is the most confusing for many of us. I've been a little fuzzy on it, probably most of my Christian life as well. How do we understand this taking up our cross? Well, if denying ourselves means to submit to Christ's agenda, taking up our cross means to die to our own agenda. So if denying ourselves means to submit to Christ's agenda, taking up a cross means to die to our own agenda. William Barclay says it this way, to take up our cross means to be prepared to face things like crucifixion and death for loyalty to Jesus. It means to be ready to endure the worst that man can do to us for the sake of being true to him. Wow. That's well said. Taking up our cross means to be ready to endure the worst that man can do to us for the sake of being true to him. Here in Luke 9, as Jesus began to set his sights on Jerusalem, he wanted his 12 closest followers not only to accept the truth of who he was and not only to accept the truth of Jesus' agenda, he also wanted them to accept the truth of what it would cost them to stick by his side. Friends, as the years go by, here in the good, good old U.S. of A., our nation becomes more and more attacking toward Christianity. As the years go by, our our nation is becoming more and more anti-Christian. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it's true in our government. Our government more and more is becoming more anti-God, more anti-Bible, more anti-Christian faith. As the years go by, more and more in our schools, in colleges and universities, they're becoming more anti-God and anti-Christianity and anti-church. More and more people are trying to silence Christians. As the years go by, we find more often than in past years that as we're simply preaching God's Word, it's called hate speech. More and more as we preach God's Word, persecution arises against Christians and against churches. We find that even in government, even in public institutions, Christian businesses are being persecuted. Businesses like Chick-fil-A that you just probably read in the news in the last couple days. Another airport has said, you are not welcome here because we don't like your founder's stance on homosexual marriage. He took a simple biblical stand and said marriage is between one man and one woman. And there are airports and now even entire cities where they're saying you are no longer welcome here. How about the Colorado small business owner that had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to get permission 
to run his business with Christian values because his own state had come against him and sued him. And over $100,000 in legal fees later, finally he's exonerated and able to continue his business. This is going to happen more and more in the weeks and months and years to come. Kids, I'm glad you're in the service with us today. And what I'm sharing here is not meant to scare you, but I hope it's to prepare you guys. Some adults who are Christians in America are afraid to have kids these days because they see what's happening in our nation. And teenagers, you have to understand, as the adults look at you, they shake their heads and they can't imagine the pressures you guys are facing on your junior high and high school campuses today. The stuff you guys have to deal with on a daily basis, I didn't have to deal with in the 90s. The stuff you guys deal with on a daily basis, many of us here who went to high school in the 60s or 70s or 80s never had to deal with those kinds of things. You guys are under immense pressure to compromise your faith and your stance for Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad for those of you, Matthew, over there in Apple Valley on your public school campus, and Daniel and Ryan over there at uh, Serrano High School in Phelan, and others of you, Sophia as well, over there as well, and Phelan. Those of you who are on public school campuses and are staying true to Jesus Christ and standing up for Him on a daily basis, I am proud of you guys. And I think we deserve to give these guys a hand. And, and those of you who are in a charter school, those of you who are on a Christian school campus, we're not naive enough to think that you guys don't face pressures there as well. Teenager was just lamenting as I was talking to him a few months ago about one of our local Christian schools where the teenagers love to go get high on weekends and they're in a Christian school. It's a scary thing. The pressures our teens and kids are facing. And kids and teens, I hope, that you guys make a decision at a young age, no matter what attacks come my way, no matter how much people pressure me to turn my back on Jesus Christ, I will stand firm. I will not deny Him. I will stand on the truth of His Word and not compromise. And I will take up my cross and I'll follow Him every day. Jesus asks you and me today, knowing that some of you will suffer for following me. Knowing that some of you will be criticized. Knowing that many of you will be persecuted. Knowing that some of you may even have to lay down your life as martyrs and die for following me. Jesus asks, knowing all of this, will you follow me anyway? Even if it means that suffering and death are on the horizon, will you pick up your cross every day and follow me anyway? I want to make that commitment to Him as my Lord and Savior. I hope that you do as well. And the third command that He gives us, if we're serious about following Him as our true Lord and Savior, a Jesus follower must follow Jesus. This sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? A Jesus follower must follow Jesus. But do you realize how many millions upon millions of so-called Christians in our nation today don't follow Jesus? Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you follow Jesus? Yeah, I follow Jesus. But you look at the life and 
many who claim to follow Christ really don't follow Christ. Jesus wants you and me to know that if we are serious about following Him as the Christ, we must be ready and willing to follow in His footsteps. As He speaks, we must speak. As He acts, we must act. As He prioritizes, we must prioritize. As He suffers and dies, we must suffer and die. That's not the feel-good message we hear preached in many pulpits across America, but it's the truth. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now let's take a quick look at these next few verses, starting in verse 24. It says here, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I want you to think of your life as a little flame. And what some people do is they kind of shelter that flame and they keep it away from the public and they just kind of hoard it and hold on to it so the flame doesn't give out. It's as if Jesus is saying here, let your flame burn. Let it burn out in the open. Let it burn publicly. A lot of times we're saying, well, I'm afraid I'm going to burn out. Well, you know what? If we burn out for Jesus, at least we're burning for Jesus. So we burn for Him. If you let your life burn for God and for others, God will keep that flame burning throughout eternity. We have one life to live here on earth, so let's give it everything we've got. If we're going to have our flame burn for someone, let it burn for Jesus Christ. And let it burn brightly. And, and Yeah, there's a certain amount of wisdom to pacing ourselves because we're in a marathon, not in a 50-yard dash. But at the same time, life is short. And we don't have that much time. So live every day for Jesus. Verse 25, he goes on to say, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? Wouldn't it be a shame if you were the richest person on earth and you die and you don't have a penny to show for your life in eternity? We should never sacrifice our soul for money, no matter how much money it is. We should never sacrifice our soul for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, no matter how cute they are. We should never sacrifice our soul for anything, but we should freely use it and give it for Jesus Christ. What a shame it would be if we gained the whole world, yet lost or forfeited our soul. Verse 26, If anyone is ashamed of me in my words. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I want to encourage you today, church, to follow Christ boldly. Follow Christ publicly. Follow Christ without any shame or regret. Followers of Christ, be very, very proud to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Be very proud to proclaim to your family and to your friends and to your neighbors that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Without hesitation, He picked up His cross and He followed that path that God had for Him. He picked up His cross without hesitation and He carried it for you. So you and I must, without hesitation, pick up our cross and carry it for Him. Whatever that means, if we're going to be ridiculed by those around us, so be it. If our spouse doesn't like it, so be it. We have to carry our cross for Jesus. If our kids or our parents don't like it, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ is number one in my life. 
If our boss doesn't like it and he says, you need to get packing, I'm done with you and your God. We count the cost, we pick up our cross and follow Him. And we know that Jesus Christ will take care of us as we do because He promised He will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And He has promised that He who has begun a good work in us will carry to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He has promised that even if we give a small cup of cold water to a child in Jesus' name, we will not fail to receive a great reward in heaven. He has made very clear to us and promised that whatever we sacrifice for Him on earth will be multiplied many times over with His rewards that He gives us in eternity. He has promised that He will work all things together for good as we love Him and are carrying out the purpose that He has for our lives. So do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ, church. Do not be afraid to stand up for Him. You count your cost, you pick up your cross, and you follow Him as Lord and Savior, and you will never regret it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray over every child in this room that each child in this room would stay strong and faithful to You. Any in this room who have not yet made a decision to accept You as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would at a very young age. Lord, I pray for our teenagers. Many of them, Lord, face attack after attack on a weekly basis against their faith. Some of our teenagers, Lord, face a level of suffering that even we adults don't face. Lord, I pray that they would stay strong. Lord, the majority of teenagers who profess Christ in their college and adult years end up, to some extent or another, stepping away from their faith. Lord, I pray that that would not be the case with the teenagers in this church. Lord, that they would serve You faithfully every day. And as they graduate from high school and get into college, they would serve You even more faithfully. Lord, for any that may be writing the shirt tails of their parents' or grandparents' faith today, I pray that they would take ownership in their own faith and live that out for the rest of their lives. And Lord, I know there's adults in this room, Lord, that face pressures to not follow You well at work, or at home, or in their neighborhoods, or in their family gatherings. Lord, I pray that You would help them to stay strong in their faith, to stand firmly on the Word of God, to count the cost and pick up their crosses and follow You as well. Lord, may we be proud to proclaim Jesus as Savior, whether we're at church on a Sunday morning, or at school on a Monday morning, or at Walmart on a Tuesday evening. May we boldly stand and proclaim Jesus Christ. And as You give us opportunities in the weeks ahead, Lord, whether it's at the uh, Reformation Crusade at Hesperia High in a couple weeks, or whether it's our Easter service here in three weeks, whether it's at the food pantry on Tuesday mornings, or at any of our Bible studies, Lord, whatever the opportunity You give us is, may we stand firmly on Your Word and point people to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord as You bravely and humbly picked up Your cross for us, may we bravely and humbly pick up our crosses for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. As our praise team comes up,
I have this wonderful hymn of the